Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Back on the air for Daybreak Devotions on this terrific Tuesday. Good to have you with us, Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell. We are from McLeansville Baptist Church right over here in the beautiful non-metropolis of McLeansville, North Carolina. I'm not even really sure what a metropolis is, but I sure am glad not to be one. Yeah, it's crowded. It's crowded, it's loud. And you pay a lot of taxes. That's kind of what a metropolis is. Sounds horrible. Yeah, but I mean, but but it's got everything the world can offer. Sounds horrible. Kind of like Sodom. Wow. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in the non-metropolis of McLeansville, North Carolina. Thanks for listening again today, as we are really well into now this week, this second week of July, and hot and heavy in missions around our area. Mm-hmm. We got teams on mission, or team on mission, another team going on mission, and that is really the, that's really what it's about. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not only are we giving to missions, but doing missions. That doesn't have anything necessarily to do with what we're talking about today, but I'm just reflecting on that a little bit. Well, I mean, it's good that we have the liberty to be able to do this. You worked the word liberty into that. I sure did. Well, this is our mission of the hour, and we're glad you're joining, because if you weren't there, we'd just be talking to ourselves. Which would be kind of weird. Well, no, we do that a lot. Well, that's true. But we don't usually do that on the radio. We don't do that to where other people can go back and listen to our conversations to ourselves. Actually, yeah, we do that a lot, too. Oh, man. We We may have lost our minds. (laughs) But anyway, we are going to be jumping right into Galatians chapter 4 today, and we ended last week on Friday. Now, I know yesterday you gave us a re-air because, again, schedules of the summer, kind of hard to get us both in here and so forth, but um, today we're back in Galatians 4, and and Friday we ended around verse 15, but uh, today we're going to jump back in right there. I think we'll back up, start at verse 15 again, and and just just keep plodding along, plowing along through these verses. Just before we came on the air, as we were praying about today's broadcast, it, it did occur to me, I was thinking, man, when we get to chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's so much good practical teaching about our Christian life and how we ought to treat one another and the things that we need to have in our life and, re- and remove from our life and all, all these things. But, boy, you got to get through chapter 4 where, where Paul is really laying down this defense for this radical grace and radical liberty that we have in Jesus and so much of this letter has been, what is going on with you people? You know, how can you be getting pulled back into all this stuff that you've been set free from? And that's what we'll pick up today. So as we come back here into Galatians chapter 4, as I said earlier, I want to back up a couple of verses back into Friday's broadcast. And uh, what what's happening here is in, in these verses in chapter 4, we're being taken a little deeper into Paul's puzzlement with the Galatian believers And verse 15 and 16, let me read those, and then I'll tell you how I kind of paraphrase this. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so I I wrote that out in my notes like Paul is saying to them, When I first came, you loved me. 
you would have sacrificed your own selves for me. And now, because I'm holding firm to the truth, you're counting me as your enemy. And I cannot help but think, I believe you're the one that uh, used this expression before, and I may have heard it somewhere else, but, you know, when you first show up, beware of the ones that are, like... Help you unpack your bags. They'll be the first ones to help you pack them. Yep. And that's what Paul is experiencing here. They just loved Paul. And why wouldn't they? These are pagan people that, you know, had been lost. If they had any religion, it was an unfulfilled religion that just demanded everything out of them. And now they've come to Christ, and they've been made free in Jesus, who pays it all and who equips us by his grace to live daily in his goodness and bear fruit for him, which, again, Paul's going to get to that in chapter uh, 5 and 6. But... Paul's just amazed that now all of a sudden you're you're going back into that, and by going back into that, you're treating me now like I'm the one that's done you wrong. Yep. I think what must have happened, and I don't I don't know all of this, and I'm sure there's church historians that could lay it out a little little more clearly, but what must have happened is that Paul has received word about the conflict in the churches there in Galatia. So again, we've already said it's only a, it's only a matter of months since he was there that he's now writing this letter back to them, but somehow he's heard about it. He's heard that these Judaizers had come in behind him, and he would have not been a stranger to that. He would have already been familiar with that that going on. But the the churches in Galatia, there are believers in the churches that are beginning to accept the bad teaching of adding law to adding law keeping to the gospel, is what I'm trying to say. That was the false teaching, the bad teaching. And Paul gets word of this, and then he responds to it. Now, possibly there had been a preceding letter. Before this one, because as Paul's writing all this, you know, he's already so far into it that he's saying, you know, now you're treating me as the enemy. So if this was his first response, how would he even know how they were treating him, Mm -hmm. right? Unless, just for sake of argument, Paul was feeling this. He was taking it very personal, which could be a reality. Because I tell you, knowing what it is to pour your heart into people and really help lead them into truth and, and freedom in Christ but then to have that sense that somehow, for some reason, I hate to use the phrase knife in the back, but at least like at least like you've shut the door and said not you've pulled the welcome mat away from me. Right. That that sense of betrayal can hit you pretty hard in, in your heart. And that might be what Paul's feeling. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're the guy that has come and, and brought good news of deliverance, and now it is very clear that the people that were that that, that you in essence, help to liberate, are now acting and operating as if, you know, well, actually, he's dangerous. We better mark him. We better watch out for him. I mean, yeah, that's cool. Great. Thanks for delivering us out. But, whew, thank heavens we didn't really get sucked up into his damaging doctrine because <laughs> then what we would have been, then it's kind of like, we, are we, you We might have not made it into heaven. Yeah. It's like, are, 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 you, are you serious? You know, I, I've, I'm pouring myself into you, and you're letting somebody else come behind and now turn you against me in in like pretty in a, in a very 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 serious way. It's it's here's an analogy. It's almost like Paul is the guy that came to the the prison, which was the prison of sin and darkness and being lost and being under sin, right? Mm-hmm. And led them out of that captivity by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then these other teachers come behind Paul and they say, hey, that Paul's not a terrible guy, all right, but he, he didn't quite get it right. We're not going to put you back in prison, but we need you to come sit in the jail a while. You know, like, yeah. who would do that? And that's almost, I think, Paul's mentality is how would you, 
why would you even consider this? You've been made completely free in Jesus, but you want to go back now halfway to some law-keeping religion. Right. So somehow or another, Paul's got the message, and he has maybe contacted them back. Maybe he wrote a preceding letter. Maybe he sent a messenger. But either way, they're pushing back against Paul. They don't want to listen to him anymore unless he's willing to come around to their way now, mm-hmm. which you, you and me and all of us know Paul's not going to do that. Now, we know this today in our time, the, the term we would use, because, again, we've, we've said the Judaizer thing, but today we would call this legalism. Mm-hmm. Or I guess a proper term would be gnomism, right? And basically that is law-keeping, observing law, earning your salvation by your good works, and I want to say something important here. The belief that you can earn your salvation by your good works or by your beliefs. And I just want to just let that set just a minute. Making your belief, in essence, a work? Yes. Well, I'm saved because I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, if I, I, I can roll with that, but let's, let's, let's test that a minute. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Because if you're trusting in your belief to save you, you're not saved. Yeah, because what happens if you stop believing? Yeah, and then let's, exactly, that's a good point. And then also let's kind of play out what you mean by belief. Mm-hmm. How, how do you believe? Show me how you believe. Now we're getting back to James, faith without works is dead. Yep. So there is that thing there. So, But legalism is I'm saved because I am doing a Christian life. I believe the right things. My moral conduct is good, Okay. Later in chapter 5, Paul's going to begin to deal with the issue of antinomianism or anti-law, which is the opposite of legalism. Now, you wouldn't think he'd have to deal with that here, but what he's going to do is he's going to balance out his message because he spent these four chapters saying, stop trying to keep the law to earn your salvation. Jesus paid for your salvation. Now get in Jesus and live it. But then in chapter 5, he's going to say, say, stand fast in that liberty and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage, but then he's going to move into how we should use that liberty, not to our own self, our own flesh, but to serve one another. So he's going to deal with the antinomianism too. Now, antinomianism, the opposite of legalism, says that there are no laws, there are no rules, there are no codes to live by. We're free to be and do as we feel free to be and do. Now, let me, let me state that one more time, because I don't want it to get lost before I, I move forward. Antinomianism which is the fancy word for the opposite of legalism. What would be another less fancy word? L- Lawlessness. Lawlessness. That sounds like, I even want to say lasciviousness, but people would reject those words because yeah. they would say, I'm not a lawless person. I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. No, but it's I'm typ- not lascivious. That's like somebody that's vile and does like unseemly things. Yeah, but it's it's typically it, you know it's the person where there's no moral absolutes. It's, it's ambiguous, you know, everybody kind of Yes, but I want to here's the point that I'm getting at with all this. So so consider all that that we just said. Most of the people listening to this radio broadcast would never think of themselves as that. Mm-hmm. Of course most would probably never think of themselves as the legalist, legalist. right? But let me let me add something to this. It's interesting that conservative Church denominations, whether it's Baptist or holiness or whoever, I don't want to start naming a bunch of names. We're Baptists, so that's easy for us to call out the Baptists. Conservative Baptists are considered to be more legalistic. Mm-hmm. Okay, But if you are in the conservative Baptist world, 
you're going to find just as much antinomianism as you find gnomism. In other words, you're going to find just as many people with the philosophy that I'm saved because I believe the right things and do the right things. You're going to find just as many of those as you find people who say, I'm saved. I don't, I'm free to do and be as I feel led to do and be. Yeah. I have liberty in Jesus. You can't judge me. If I don't want to do this, I don't have to do this. Don't expect anything out of me. I think one of the best ways to, to identify that person is the individual that likes to use the verse, hey, I'm the high priest of my own home. And a lot of times that will kind of get used to justify, you know, I, I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account. So yeah, Don't you worry about me. I'll give account yes, to God. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's a code talk for saying, get out of my business. Exactly. Don't expect, any, don't expect me to live by any standard. Because the person that actually understands that I'm the high priest of my own home and, and I'm going to have to answer to God is going to be like, somebody give me some counsel. Somebody mm-hmm. help me because I'm going to have to answer before God. So I, I'm not smart enough or, or capable enough or spiritual enough to figure this out on my own. Yeah. Also... Another thing that I think I have, it's just kind of crossing my mind, but when I've had these types of conversations with people down through the years, some of them in church, some of them not in church, but they take these kind of stands, this mm-hmm. self-righteous. Another thing that gets thrown out a lot by people of that mindset is, show me in the Bible. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's the truth right there. When you talk to them about, hey, look, God does expect us to live holy lives. There are some things that are right and some things that are wrong for a believer. Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong in doing this, right? Now, there is a place and time for saying, hey, brother, show me in the Bible. Like, if I really don't see that, but show me. Help me see what you're saying. Now, that's a good attitude. Right. Everybody should maintain that's a humble approach, right? I believe I'm right, but I could be wrong, so help me see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. But that's not the spirit behind this thing. This, this, this ant... And it's usually the antinomious, not the legalists. The legalists are going to pull their Bible out and just misrepresent it. Yeah. They're going to say, thus saith the Lord right there, brother, and they're going to take you to some obscure passage in the Old Testament. Well, it won't that's, even be obscure. That's black, white, and red right yeah, there. It's, but the, the, the guy that says, look, I, I, hey, look, I'm not accountable to you. I'm accountable to God. They're going to say, show me in the Bible where it says that. And then you really know at that point you're not going to reason with them. Yeah. Okay, but. If we are going to answer this, are we or are we not bound to the moral law of God's word? Because that's really the issue. We all sort of agree, and thankfully so, the ceremonial law is out. I mean, I don't have to bring pigeons, doves, and and goats to the altar anymore. I don't have to scrub my house down and shave all the hair off my body when I have a scab, right? (laughs) I mean, thank God for these things, right? But the moral law, okay, which includes the Ten Commandments, where do we stand on that? Honestly, we can debate a lot of things about the law God gave through Moses and where and when it applies and stops with regard to New Testament believers. But in the end, we have the words of Jesus as our guide. And we really need nothing else except a heart, an ear to hear, mm-hmm. a heart to understand. Because the same people will, people from both groups will sit on church pews week after week and never get what Jesus says. Because yep. they don't have the heart to understand. They don't have an ear to hear. But listen to what Jesus says. In terms of what is the what is the code? What are the rules? What are the laws I'm supposed to live by? Matthew seven, twenty four and twenty five. Therefore ever whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. What is he referring to? He's referring to the entire Sermon on the Mount. Whoa, 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 now, wait a minute now. That's that's for the that's for the coming kingdom. Well, yeah, you got that right. And guess what? It's coming. Yep. It, it's it has it has invaded. 
It's here. It's marching on, brother. Yep. And, you know, if you're in, you're in, right? And everything Jesus taught, he expects us to live by, okay? So right there, you got something. Mm -hmm. There's a moral code right there. Problem is, that one's hard to live up to. Yeah, that, that one's tough. I tell you, I don't know why it is that this, this study through Galatians keeps taking us back there, but, man, it's foundational. Yep. All right, so Jesus says that, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, what are his commandments? Now, Jesus gives very few, quote, commandments in the Scripture, but if we understand his commandments as his directives, well, we got everything from Matthew 5 on, right? Yeah. John 14, 22 through 24, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Everybody sitting on a church pew is following somebody's sayings. They're listening to somebody's words, and they're doing them. Mm-hmm. If everybody who claims to be following Jesus was following Jesus, we wouldn't have so many people going in umpteen different directions all the time. Right? Yep. But we don't digress. We go to John fifteen ten. <laughs> if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. But the problem is, the problem, it is a problem. The reality is, I cannot take those, those words of Jesus and go to anybody who's living outside of that and convince them. Because in their heart and their mind, I'm doing that. Yep. I, I keep I keep Jesus' word. I'm I'm in God's love. I abide in God's love. God loves me all the time, brother. In fact, in fact, that's what I'm saying to you. <laughs> you can't tell me that I'm not in God's love. Yeah, it, it's kind of like when, I mean, you prepare a message, you get up to preach, and you don't plan and prepare a message for individual people. Like, oh, this guy needs this. Okay, Lord, help me find a book, chapter, and verse because I'm going to preach this on Sunday morning to this fella. But sometimes you'll say stuff, and it's like, oh, man, I, I know this person's life. And then you'll look, and they'll be the one that's amen in it. Like, yep. yeah, they'll come up to the back door. Boy, I'm telling you what, there were some people in here that needed to hear that. And you want to say, yeah, did you hear that? You mm -hmm. know, how, how are you missing this? <laughs> Bringing some resolution, though, back to these two things, Adam Clark, who was a Methodist minister from some, some time back, said it this way. And I thought this was pretty good. The gospel proclaims liberty from the ceremonial law, but binds you still faster under the moral law. To be freed from the ceremonial law is the gospel liberty. To pretend freedom from the moral law is antinomianism. Hmm. Now, again, we could, we could discuss and debate, well, what part of the moral law, how far does it go, you know, because the moral law is a little vague if we don't dive into it a little bit, like Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are just ten. There's a whole lot more, okay? But I agree with the overall point he's making. Jesus did not destroy the law. He fulfilled it. He did not dismiss us from God's law. He opened the door for us to have a way to live according to that. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus did was took the law and, and, and just kind of wrapped it all up into himself. Yeah. And so when Jesus teaches us in those big, long red letter passages in the scriptures what we're getting is this is what god expects out of you as a christian 
And yes, there is a code, so to speak, to live by. There's a moral expectation in the kingdom of God. You are not freed from that. You are freed to live it. Yes, and I think the 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 great uh, litmus test, if you will, is when we have the heart of wanting to obey the moral law of God, whenever we get to one of those decision points that it's like, okay, what should I do with this? If our heart is really to follow the moral law of God, we're going to err on the side of too rigidness. Is that, is that, is that the right way to say that? Like we're going to want to make sure, okay, this might be a gray area, but I'm going to err on the side of going above and beyond to make sure, and I'm not going to try to justify why I can be less than mm-hmm. because that's the moral law of God. We want to be so in tune with God. Are we going to get everything right? Are we going to look exactly like everybody else? No, but our heart should be unified to the point that it's like when I get to a point where it's a question, my go-to response is, Lord, I'm going to err on the side of being closer to you just to remove all doubt because our heart is to be morally pure and morally aligned with God. I was just looking, as you're talking, you made me think, you know, those verses I read from Jesus, I was looking back over those, you know, kind of thinking about what are some qualifiers is not the word I'm trying to think of, but some maybe identifiers of the person that actually is truly keeping the commandments or keeping mm-hmm. the word of Jesus. And I, I didn't get too far with it. I mean, but, you know, you're going to have to know that in your own heart. You know, because it's somebody who is abiding, who's really dwelling in the love of God. Mm-hmm. And that's not just, you, you can't just say, well, yeah, God loves me. I know God loves me. No, that's not abiding in God's love. Man, the doggone heathen down the street who doesn't know Jesus from from Adam's house cat, yeah. knows God loves him, and he'll say that, right? Yep. So that's, but it's the person who really got, like they're experiencing the love of the Father in their life, the way that my children experience love for me when I pay attention to them, talk to them, hug them, you know, do things with them. I mean, if we have that reality in our life, that comes because we are, walking in Christ. We're keeping his word. Well, let me at least go down to verse 17 today. And this is an interesting verse as we get ready to wrap up today's broadcast. Paul, speaking of these Judaizers, they zealously affect you, or in our terms, the legalist, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. Now, when I read that verse, this is what I think Paul's saying. He says, folks, you're missing the point here. You are being marketed by these people. You are a product to them. Yeah, they're getting you all stirred up, but why are they getting you stirred up? Why, why is it that this crowd can come in and have such an influence over you? I'll tell you why. They're doing it for their own benefit. And if they're doing it for their own benefit, you know what they're not going to do? Anything that would turn you away. Mm-hmm. Anything that would risk losing your attention. Anything that would cause you to think badly of them. Remember, this is the guy who's now the enemy because I'm telling you the truth. But what I'm telling you is you'll never feel that way about them because if they lose you, they risk losing their honey Power. hole. Yep. You ever heard that phrase before? Mm-hmm. Man, that's a honey hole over there at that church, baby. You want to get a meeting there. Now, you're going to talk about something that makes God sick? Yep. It's when preachers talk like that. Mm-hmm. But let's not exclude anybody else that's not a preacher. I mean, when we're... When we're exercising our influence over somebody for our gain, that's called manipulation. Yep. And Sunday school teachers can do it. 
and musicians can do it, and people sitting on the pew can do it. I mean, it's this is a thing that spreads through the rank and file, as they say. Yeah, because we'll do certain things for certain visitors because it's like, oh, man, they're an influential person. They have something to contribute. But then you let somebody come in that uh, might kind of ruffle the feathers mm-hmm. of some of our longstanding members, some of our, our, our key people. We just don't want to we don't want to hurt them. And so what will we do? We'll exclude that crowd coming in because hey, their kind comes in here and all of a sudden we start losing people. You know, these sort of different visitors that we have from time to time who most of the time don't end up staying around. Yep. Wonder how many we would have kept if somebody, when they were planning their little fellowships, would have invited them. I mean, and even thought about it. Yeah. Well, preacher, you should have thought about it. Well, you're right, and I'm thinking about it right now. Because I can speak this even not just from my time here, but in my years of being involved in the preacher's home to some extent. But there's a lot of times that the preacher follows up with a visitor that hasn't been there for a while and just kind of asks, you know, hey, you know, what's going on? Very rarely does the word come out that, I just didn't like that preacher. Everything about that church was great, but that preacher was just a jerk. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the time was, oh, preacher, we love that you preached the scripture. Boy, we enjoyed the sermon so much. But we just felt like outsiders while we were there. We just felt like, you know, we... We didn't get the sense that, you know, people really wanted us. Or, I mean, they were friendly to our face and stuff. Well, that's not the reflection of the preacher. That's the that's the, re- the reflection of us sitting in the pew, not incorporating these people. Pastors are to be hospitable. But long before the pastor gets to that point, his first priority in any gathering of the church is to be prepared and to deliver the Word of God. Yes, and the people in the pews are the first contact mm-hmm. with visitors, and it just has to be that we understand that. And then we're working together and pulling together yes. toward that. So, hey, I know we're out of time today. Uh, I'll finish this thought of verse 17 by saying Paul uses these two key words, affect and exclude, all right? He says, they zealously affect you but not well, yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. So, again, what he's saying is is they're, they're making you feel real good. They're stirring you up ultimately to their own personal profit. But those two words, affect and exclude, if you look at what they mean, basically Paul is saying they're pursuing you for the purpose of excluding you. Yeah. What? In other words, why would they do that? Their whole thing is to build their following. But to get you following them or liking them, or whatever all the terms are, they're going to have to pull you away from me. They're going to have to convince you that that guy, he had something to offer in the beginning, but we'll take it from here. What you really need is what we have to offer. And let me, let me, just, let me close it with this. There's a, there's a quote by Spurgeon that I think helps us understand a little bit about this false teaching thing. Spurgeon said, It is a remarkable fact that all the heresies which have arisen in the Christian church have had a decided tendency to dishonor God and to flatter man. Wow. You watch it. I'm just going to be, you, you got to watch the guy that's just like super popular with everybody. I want to be liked, loved, respected by the people of my church. Mm-hmm. And if you choose to listen to like the radio program, I hope it's a blessing and a help to you. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. My loyalty My first order of business is to the people of this church, this congregation. You really have to beware of the guy who's out there trying to win everybody's church members to himself. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that started, 
but it was happening back in the days of Galatians. Yeah. And we're still battling it today. That's right. So anyway, on that happy note. To have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.